0: you can't be radically different when your market is everyone. You must define a minimum viable market that is small enough for you to own and big enough for you to make money. But if it's too big, if you don't really know why they buy from you, if they don't have any reason to discover you over someone else, you can't have radical differentiation because it comes from the intersection of your category, where you are, the market you seek to serve, and the value you provide. The intersection of those three attributes is what makes it radically different.
1: You're listening to Customer Show, the podcast that explores what makes people tick, click, and buy. I'm your host, Caitlin Burgoyne. I'm a marketer by trade and a four-time founder by choice. And I believe whoever gets closer to the customer wins. So here's the multi-million dollar question. In a world where everyone is fighting for your buyer's attention, how do people like us, marketers and entrepreneurs who want to drive more sales, without working around the clock or resorting to shady marketing techniques, how do we persuade more customers to buy from us? That's the question, and this show has the answers. Have you heard the advice that you should zig while others are zagging, or that you need to stand for something, or risk standing for nothing? What this clever marketing advice is really saying is that it's easier to market if you create a brand that stands out from the crowd. But I've got a tough marketing pill that we both need to swallow before we can get to the rest of the episode. Are you ready? Here it is it's actually not easy or comfortable to stand out from the crowd. Think about it, would you ever just stand up on your chair and yell at the top of your lungs, pay attention to me, pay attention to me, I'm different. If you're like me, you wouldn't actually do that in the real world. Yet as marketers, we're expected to have no problem creating and sharing messages day in and day out that break patterns and gather people's attention. Luckily, my guest has picked up a few tricks along the way for how you can stand out in a way that is way more effective than just trying to blurt out crazy things at the top of your lungs or to just be intentionally provocative. In this episode, you'll hear how my guest, Louis Gronier, went from wearing three-piece suits that he hoped would make him look, quote-unquote, professional, to creating the podcast Everyone Hates Marketers. Now, in a sea of marketing podcasts, Louis has definitely made a name for himself for hosting a show that's both refreshingly insightful and brutally honest. So if you're anxious about putting messaging out there that doesn't quite feel authentic, or if you want to be heard without feeling like you need to yell at the top of your lungs, then this episode is for you. Louis is a master at radical differentiation, and he's going to share insights into how he helps people do this through a program he's created called Stand the Fuck Out. But before we hear what it takes to stand the fuck out, I wanted to start my conversation with Louis by asking about the early days of his marketing career. So what led to him going from wanting to wear those three-piece suits to wanting to be defiantly different? Let's hear from Louis.
0: Wow. So there's a lot of to, to impact, to, to unpack here. This three piece suit to me is the perfect summary of what I used to be or what I used to do, which was trying to act like a marketing consultant and trying to behave like what I thought others expected me to behave like. Mm -hmm. And so when I started my career after, you know, doing marketing for a startup, I, I created my own business and I acted. Like a dog, I acted like this marketing (laughs) consultant, trying to be seen as this like I know everything, and I had no fucking clue what I was doing. And so this three piece suit is the perfect summary. This is this was this was the image I was trying to to project. Now, obviously, years after, I've learned otherwise, and I've learned to follow my gut, and that sounds very cliche. And to go further, I've learned to really try to channel this. the the, where my energy goes and and one thing that i love and i've been loving to do from a very young age is to try to find flaws in people's thinking you know trying to Mm -hmm. challenge people just to get a reaction out of them because i was absolutely craving attention i didn't really get much attention from my mom and i think that really spread into every facet of my life where yeah, I was trying to, to get attention and trying to find flaws and, and so much in fact that one of my history teacher in high school called me an intellectual terrorist because of that.
1: <laughs> I, I read uh, the, the blog yeah. post you wrote about this. I loved that.
0: And so true, right? And so why, why I have, I have I this style of interviewing people? It's just because this is, this is what I love to do the most is I love to, to get to the, to the core of things so people can understand it. And I fucking hate to to make people look good just to make them look good you know if we think about it from a job to be done perspective the job of the podcast is not to make my guests look good the job of the podcast is to teach people how to do good marketing stand the fuck out without the bullshit and okay
1: so, so wait a minute though you're talking with this three-piece suit and that was who you were trying to be yeah. when did the epiphany happen
0: you know, this, this, this uh, kind of bias where the survivorship bias where, you know, it's mm-hmm. easy to, to think back and to, to round off the edges and to make it sound like a very interesting story. And I had everything figured out. It, it wasn't just an epiphany. One day I woke up and I was like, this is it. It, it slowly started when I had this agency. We started to do some radical transparency stuff. I was sharing my revenue online to everyone for everyone to see just to be noticed. I started to do, I did two events, organized two events in my local chamber of commerce where I interviewed one CEO per, per night and there were like 40 people uh at those. And people really loved my style of interviewing because I did it live in front of the audience. There was no presentation and I did it because I just wanted to, I just followed that thing. And I was towards the end of this marketing agency journey. And the feedback that I got was, yeah, we love that you know can you do more of it and so i started to interview people online using skype and then i realized wow people actually like that style and and you know it, it just built up month after months i realized that nothing is ever real until you ship it until you show it to people and once i understood that things became clearer and clearer but it's it took months if not a few years to go to the edge of the map you know to take some risk and to, to really trust my gut way more than, than I used to.
1: I love this. So you talked about understanding what you're trying to do with the podcast. It's not about glamorizing the marketers that are your guests. It's about making sure that your audience can learn the most from these episodes. And so tell me a little bit about your relationship with that audience. Like, How did you figure out what you were going to serve them because there's so many different ways you could have added value how did you figure out this is the thing like this is what they need from you, or like what was that feedback loop with them like
0: so i guess it's the intersection of your my own beliefs and and what they want and uh, trying to find it intersection i mean the belief that i've started to develop around marketing a few years ago was around first principles meaning what are the things that will never change about marketing? Just got sick and tired of this, you know, shiny object syndrome and, and this new social tool that you need to use and, and this new tactic and this new hack and whatever. It was never for me. I never liked that. I always liked the psychology uh, side of it. And, and so the first principles, those evergreen things that people can take away forever was always kind of the thing that I believed in. And that was coming from me. As for the exact format and the way it started to flow, I did a few interviews. I, deliberately ask for feedback. And I remember the biggest piece of feedback, the most helpful was, we love when you start getting into the nitty-gritty step-by-step of your guest method. We don't love that much the intro. And I used to spend 10 to 15 minutes talking about the guests and who they are and whatnot. Instead, I i flipped, this, I flipped it around. And when I got the feedback, I started with the step-by-step and ended up talking about the guest a bit. And sometimes not even... At all. But what I realized was when you do go through the step by step, the actionable bits, the details, the story of the guest shine through mm-hmm. and it's not explicit. And, and I found the balance this way. So again, it wasn't like just epiphany moment, came up with the name, came up with the positioning, came up with the way I would interview people, came up with the topics. It, it, it just a story of a lifetime almost because it, it came from also my personality and the way. I was always kind of seeking attention as was a kid.
1: You have a new program that I've been watching you build. And I've been so excited to cheer you along from the sidelines. I've been reading the testimonials from people who went through it initially. And now you're rolling out round two. And the name, as per your brand, <laughs> is, you know, definitely stands out. And the name of the, the program is Stand the Fuck Out and yes. it's all about radical differentiation. So how do you actually define what that means? What is radical differentiation?
0: It's it's a it's a positioning method to cross the chasm as a business to make sure that you get the attention of the people you seek to serve to, and to fight the clutter. So it's about creating both a compelling offer and a distinctive offer for a specific group of people. And the way it came to be I never really got any hate or anything because I always made it clear that I'm not fighting you, the marketer, even though the name implies it. I'm fighting the system that forces you to do this. I'm fighting the monster. I'm pointing the finger at this monster threatening your livelihood, making you use these shiny new tactics and, and putting you under pressure to have to try to deliver results and all of that. So I'm taking the side of the marketer. And I think this is why I think this is why I never got any hate. But about this program as well, it's not like something that came to me straight away. I went at it in a very rational, analytic fashion. And I've used the method that I'm preaching myself and that 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 you know, because that's what you do as well. I did audience research. I started with my own people and said, okay, how do I create something that a few people would absolutely fucking love? And something that i believe would f- help them fight marketing bullshit something that will also enable me to pay my my bills and and i was th- i've been thinking about this topic for a long time i'm through the podcast i'm helping people to fight marketing bullshit, but i never really went to the point of saying how it's loosely about, you know, this evergreen principles and the psychology behind it, understand your people and serve them with the right thing and whatever. And that was always kind of this theme throughout the podcast, but it was never, I was never able to come up with a name that said, you know, you, we help you fight, fight marketing bullshit by this. Right. And it's only after researching where I, I looked at my audience and basically discovered that a third of them would be people like us, business owners, entrepreneurs, and then I understood that their biggest issue was to stand out. That's what they told me through surveys and through talking to them. I also understood that VPs of marketing and, and leaders, marketing leaders who follow me, also have a similar problem. However, they do not necessarily have the clout to actually go all in with With that aspect because most of the time marketers are not invited in a product table they are not able to change a product even though they should be absolutely should be so it took me a while to understand that to get to the point and then i looked at myself and the type of things that i love to do and the project that i love to that uh, that i love to be involved in and it all came back to positioning all came back to differentiation all came back to trying to find an edge you know trying to find this flaw inside a category and play within it to make people notice you because you do something completely different and so it was very meta of an exercise, and I took a month of work, and I read all the books I, I could on differentiation again, uh, re-listened to and reread the transcript of all the, p- the episodes that mention it, and re-looked at the project I've been involved in throughout my career when it comes to positioning, and it, start, it slowly started to, to, to become obvious. I fight marketing bullshit through radical differentiation. It's I believe it's the only way. When you're a business and you want to launch and grow up until a certain time up until a certain stage, once you're ready to scale, radical differentiation is pretty much the only way uh, to go there.
1: Okay, let's take a quick time out. If you're listening to today's episode, I bet you're already imagining how you can apply all these ideas to your work. But before you go out and eagerly rewrite all of the copy on your website or change your whole marketing strategy, first, I need you to ask yourself this very important question. Do you know, without a shadow of a doubt, who your most valuable customer segment is? If not, you're in trouble. You don't have time to waste by chasing the wrong customers. Even with all of these ideas from our amazing guests, if you're chasing the wrong people, it's going to feel like an uphill battle. But if you're ready to stop wasting time on marketing that doesn't work and attract more dream customers, then I've got something you are going to love. I put together a free tool just for you. I call it my Customer Ranking Calculator. Now, in a matter of minutes, this quick exercise can help you to gain clarity around which customer segments you should focus on. And which ones you may want to stop serving. That sounds good, right? So if you want to download this free tool, head on over to customercamp.co forward slash calculator. That's customercamp.co forward slash calculator. Okay, back to the show. What I love is that you're showing that this wasn't an aha moment. It wasn't a, well, we learned this and then we did this. It was very much a journey. And I remember talking to you back when you interviewed me for your podcast. And afterwards we were talking about kind of some of the stuff I was working on, some of the stuff you were working on. You were still in house then. And you had, again, this aspiration to do something with marketers. I think at the time it was like, I'm thinking about doing a community. I'm trying to figure this out. And So walk me through, because I've done this, and I think that a lot of our listeners have done this, where you know where you want to go. You have a high-level... Like you have a concept, something that is a thread that is pulling you along, something where you've gotten a good degree of customer insight and you know that you're kind of like on the path. Was like, were there like, you know, failed pr- steps or like missteps where you like, okay, maybe this is the thing kind of you tested that? Like, how did you evolve your way to launching that program and getting people to like enter their credit card information? Like, what were the kind of like, steps along that path?
0: Yeah, that's an excellent question because that's something that people tend to forget. And again, this survivorship bias come back, like we tend to forget those moments. So I remember the, I did a, a failed start where I tried to sell a program for marketing consultants and freelancers, particularly on how to stand out. And I remember asking for feedback for everyone I could think about uh, for, of, of the landing page never and really, never really shipped it. I was too scared. And so you know what I can I can easily follow the method that I'm teaching and and radical differentiation the little secret behind it the way to differentiate and and the step that you that you need to take is actually marketing 101 disguised into into in, into a way to stand out the standing out is always at the end but the first step is always to challenge your self-limiting beliefs the the things that prevent you from that mindset that prevents you from actually taking some risk and and trying to do things a bit differently and that's what i had i was too afraid of taking a risk i was too afraid of quitting my job and so nothing was real because everything was internally in my head everything was in google docs there was no landing page live there was no shipping there was no email to my list and it took me a great deal of time to actually challenge those beliefs to think hey you know it's 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 now never you need to do it so I, I think the biggest misstep, if I can be hundred percent transparent, is was the, the mindset and the, my brain challenging my own brain, the the struggle that I had with anxiety and and coming back and forth between ideas and products and stuff, and but nothing is real until you ship it, you know. So, you know, it, it, that's that's that was very tough. Time. That
1: is hard. It's so hard. I mean, I've been there too. And so now you help people like you've identified that problem. It is a huge bottleneck for people that stops them. You've created a program with steps that I'm assuming help them get through that. How did you get through it? Like how who was on in your ear saying, you know, this is what you need to do? Or how did you identify? Okay, fuck it. Like, yeah. I just need to jump in and ship something. Like what was your catalyst for going to that next step. I
0: can see how how the job to be done thinking and all of this is playing into the interview, the catalyst, the trigger, the thing that, that made me go over the edge and cross that bridge. It, it wasn't one thing, it was accumulation of things. I think it was... The time when in my full-time job, I felt like I, I went, I was at the end of it. Another catalyst was the fact that I lost actually my grandparents in a rather kind of tragic circumstances a few months before. And that made me really question, you know, the, the ex- existential question, what, I, what do I want to do with my life, really? Because I've always kind of been an entrepreneur at heart or someone who, who wants to take risks, or at least that was the self-story I was serving myself. That and then finally... I was, I learned to surround myself with folks who, who were in that space, who were already doing it to, to really give me feedback and, 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 and push me over the edge. And this is the reason why Stand the Fuck Out is not an online course that you just follow in your own time. The reason why it's limited to 20 people. The reason why I, I really challenge you every week and we have those weekly calls and I get to know you personally and get to know your business. The reason why there's 19 other people, 19 other mavericks there to, to help you out is because this is such a tough step and it's the toughest, right? And once you surround yourself with people, once you have this kind of, this, this extra catalyst that helps you to go over the edge. Nothing that I teach through this program or nothing that I'm going to tell you now is novel. There's nothing crazy innovative about it. I think the key is just that I understood the mindset piece was much more important than what marketers think it is. And that's why it's been a success from from like the first cohort is because I recognize that I think it was the biggest thing.
1: You caught me like it's all about those triggers. It's all about those catalyst moments. And those are what get at us emotionally. And that is what drives us to act. And we always as marketers want to think that it's going to be, oh, they're going to Google this thing and then they're going to get on my landing page and they're going to read my blog post and they're going to sign up. Like, no, there's shit that happened way before that Google entry <laughs> that if you don't know about you're missing out on. And so one of the things that I know you do, and it sounds like a really practical way to kind of get people to think about going over the edge, but you tell them that they should write their own obituary. What is like the (laughs) mindset? (laughs) Like what, why make them do that? And um i want to do it now i haven't done it i want to do it
0: i, I think there's all those tactics to get outside of your own head I've, i it's not from me that's from a book called zag from uh, martin newmeyer i think he's he has one of that as an exercise and it enables you to get outside of your own head to identify exactly what you want to achieve and when you think about it from the perspective of someone else looking at you when you go at it from a third person perspective it tends to remove the the emotion out of it a bit. And it, it's a hit and miss thing. You know, I also make them in the last week and make them write a letter to their future from their future self from a year after. That's also very telling because it, it, it kind of, I don't look, I'm not too, I'm not smart enough to tell you why it seems to work, but it seems like, yeah, it, it it's, it's kind of this out of body experience in a sense that it's like what I advise people to do when they are stuck in their own head as consultants is to, treat themselves as a client and remove the the emotion out of it. It's the reason why doctors can't really treat their family members because then they have too much, you know, skin in the game and they make bad decisions. I think it's the same thing. It's, it's, it's all for the same reason.
1: It's so true. I mean, as a marketer and even like, you know, watching my husband go through his startup journey and then empathizing with him and having a you know, recognizing that there are things that I would do differently if it were me making some of these decisions. But when I'm making those same decisions inside of my own business, I don't see that clarity. And I think that stepping out of yourself And doing an exercise like that would be so valuable. I know it might be Amazon when they launch a new product, they used to have this old um, strategy before even like there was like the first meeting to discuss like what this product might be. They would write a press release for it. And it was like, yeah, and like what a good exercise to figure out how, if you can in, as you know, to use your language, if you can figure out the radical differentiation of why you're launching this product, like what, why should it be exciting? Why should a journalist write about you? And if there's Nothing there, yep. if it's you know we want to make ten percent more points, so like we're going to do this, it's like nobody gives a fuck
0: and do you know what the biggest the biggest aspect of that, the biggest aspect for marketers, particularly to show that actually your emotion is involved and you don't think very rationally about your own business is when you tell them to focus on a very narrow, minimum viable market when you talk to them about this idea, everyone will understand it from a concept you know perspective mm-hmm. but as soon as you make them do it for themselves there's the fear again what if it's too small what if you know someone else from another market will reach out and, and wants to buy from me then i'm gonna have to say no there is this kind of feeling this ver- this big fear coming back and and that only happens when it's your own things when you're consulting for others it's very easy to do it it's very easy to challenge others to say it's too big go narrow once you cross the chasm, once you're ready to scale, once you know you use the bowling pin strategy, and, and, and once you, you nail that market, you go to the next one. But no, it, it, we tend to really forget that rule as marketers uh, for our own stuff, uh, which is actually the, the second step in radical differentiation, which is the reason why I'm telling you that it's basically marketing 101, marketing strategy 101. You can't be radically different when your market is everyone you know, you must define a minimum viable market that is small enough for you to own and big enough for you to to make money out of. But if if it's not congruent, if it's too big, if if, if you don't really know why they buy from you, if they don't have any reason to discover you over someone else, you can't have radical differentiation because it comes from the intersection of your category, where you are, the market you seek to serve, and the value you provide. The intersection of those three attributes is what makes it radically different. And you can then say you are the only category for those people who provide X. And that's that's the differentiation statement.
1: That's massive. Okay, so let's make this practical. Tell me who are your minimum viable market? Like when you think about who buys this course, who is it for? And maybe you can use a student example too who is able to identify theirs. But first share yours so people know if this is for them.
0: So it's, it's for, it's for risk takers, or at least people who tell themselves they are risk takers. Uh, it's for people who want to radically stand out from a sea of competitors. They are in markets that are very saturated. Everyone with a brain and a laptop can, can join that market. Right. And they are sick of marketing bullshit overall. Like they have a higher uh, intolerance to bullshit. And those three attributes are very much psychographic based. But when, when you look at the ones who are willing to pay, the ones who have really much, very much have a problem like that. The ones who really can't wait for a solution like this. They tend to be in terms of firmographic. They tend to be business owners, consultants, freelancers, people who sell services that are undifferentiated by default and who want to launch a product or have a product and they want to make sure that it, that it's they want to scale it. They, they are ready to to take it and, and, and start really make some waves, but they don't know where to start. And that's usually kind of the, the market. But the other thing that is important for me is that I also intersect my minimum variable markets to be part of my audience, meaning... The reason why I have a small market is because I seek to serve folks listening to my podcast or who know me already. I don't really seek to convince people who don't know me at all, who've never listened to my podcast, never followed, never read my email, to buy my stuff. And so that makes my market very narrow. But the conversion rate can be quite high and and, uh, the average value can be quite high. So that's for me.
1: So true. And I want to draw... like attention to what you just shared, because I think that when a lot of people hear this minimum viable market or minimum viable audience, they start to think in terms of sectors, like, yes. okay, so I'm going to work with people who work in this type of sector, or I'm going to work with people who fit this kind of like demographic mix, or what what you defined, which we've, we've geeked out before on your podcast, and obviously, we're both really big advocates for is like, you know, it's not about necessarily what they look like, while that can definitely help you define them easier. It's more so about what they're trying to achieve and how you can shape what you're offering so that they understand why it's the absolute perfect solution to help them achieve that outcome it's like about who they want to become not necessarily about who they are
0: so have i have like a few line on this i say it's not about demographic it's about who has reasons to buy from you who's experiencing those triggers who's in pain who stays awake at night staring at the ceiling who wants to reach their goal the most and then i give a few examples i can give you for example i work with a client they're selling shampoos so that's the category, shampoos. However, they sell it, their minimum viable market, we discovered, is very specific. They sell shampoos specifically for Latinas, but Latinas is a demographic, doesn't tell you anything. They sell shampoos specifically for uh, Latinas who have long, frizzy hair. And the reason why it's long and freezy is because the longer it is, the freezier it is, the more out of control they feel. And the more the pain is higher, the more they want to control that freeze so that they can get on with their life. And it so happens that there is two states in the United States where Latinas suffer that even more, suffer from that problem even more. is Florida and California uh, because of the weather, because of the climate there. It's very warm in the summer, very humid, uh, and still gets pretty warm and humid in the winter. And when you take this intersection, you don't sell to Latinas anymore. You sell to Latinas with long, frizzy hair living in those states. And you can start with that and then sure, Once you have a lot of money, you made a lot of sales, you can move on and, and, and grow that market. But those are the people who would love you the most because they really can't wait for a solution like yours. So that's an example. Yes.
1: Yes. And what you're what you've hit on here is something that I say a lot, which is like context is king. Like there's this whole like content is king thing. Like that's always been horseshit. But like it's (laughs) about like the context. Like when somebody sees your thing, do they go, yes, in my situation with what I'm trying to achieve, with the barriers that I have in front of me is this going to work for me? And why or why All not, right? Because right? you can have the absolute perfect solution. Let's say you change nothing about your program, except for the price. And suddenly the price is $50,000. Well, now the context has changed, because the people who can who are willing to make that kind of investment in themselves who can get over that fear, that that has changed, right? Their context has changed. It's like, I can't afford that. I can't talk my partner into letting me do it, or I'd have to take a loan and no banks would give me a loan to take a online program. And like, so when you change the context of their situation, it can massively change the the product that's going to be the right solution for them. And I think not enough people, as you and I both know, spend nearly enough time trying to think about their customers' context. They spend all their time obsessing about their product.
0: I know. And that drives me nuts. And and this is why I have a slight issue with positioning books, recent positioning stuff that I'm, I'm very happy that it's been talked about way more. But the problem I have with the methodology of first looking at your product, so they basically tell you to, to take your product as it is and then retrospectively try to find a market that will like it. And then, you know, and then get on with it. And the problem with that is if you have an undifferentiated product that is like, let's say you're selling marketing services, Trying to find a, a group of people who would really love it, it's just almost impossible because by default, your product is shitty. So the positioning method of telling you, yeah, you have an innovative product, like a new tech product, great. Then you can find the people who love you the most and who are willing to pay the most. That's fine. But if you are the 99% of other products and selling services and whatever that don't have a true innovation to it, how the fuck do you stand out then? You can't if you follow that method. So this is why what I... Preach!
1: I want to challenge you there because, like, yeah. I think for your in your context with who you sell to, you are absolutely a hundred percent right. But if you're talking about a venture back tech company that has, you know, ten engineers on staff that has built this thing, like they don't have the luxury of not starting like they need like they have this product they know that they can continue to evolve that product but right now they need to figure out how to get enough traction so that they can keep lights on and generate enough traction to be able to move to the next step so i would say it really depends on the context of the brand that's being positioned and what things look like for them
0: i'm not saying you don't start with a product what i'm trying to say is more forget about your product for a fucking minute. And obsess over the markets before that, and then you can start changing the product for that market. But if you if you take your product to be something that is like set in stone, you can't change it. You're just a marketer. You can't influence your product, and then try to retrofit it to find a market and a value. It's going to be very difficult.
1: Fair enough. Okay, so let's, you know what I mean. I do, and so you are the step by step guy. You. <laughs> love getting your guests to walk the step by step, so without giving us all of your secrets, if I was to join your program, walk me through the different stages of what I'm going to learn.
0: Yeah, so th- the first thing we'd go through is challenging your self emitting beliefs, and that's the week one mindset. So we we just go at it. I take the biggest self emitting belief, like standing out is risky. And I tell you that, no, standing out is not risky. With the clutter that is everywhere, the only risk is to not stand out. You must take a risk or else you're going to face obscurity. We go through much more detail. And in the first week, I will challenge you and make you share that within the community and with the alumni to say, here is your biggest belief. This is Those are three evidence to the contrary. Then I make them reach out to people they know, colleagues and friends, and ask them, what do you think is my unique ability? What do you think I'm the best at? and that has two re- i i do it for two reasons one is to give them confidence for the next few weeks because uh, reading 15 emails of people complimenting you is a good boost but also for them to truly start to understand the the strengths that they have and where to focus their energy on if they are very good writers when it comes to your marketing is, is something you need to know. Uh, if you're very good at interviewing people, it's something you need to know. And, and having it from another, another perspective helps you to see, to get out of yourself, as we mentioned before. So that's kind of the, the biggest, the mindset. And then for three weeks, we go after defining your minimum viable market. So whether your product or not doesn't matter. I make you define your market. I make you look at uh, your existing customers, if you have any, classify them by joy, access, profitability, and pain. So do you like working with them? Are they paying in the ass? That's the joy. Mm-hmm. Profitability is do they have money to pay? Uh, can they say yes to you? Because that's a big thing for, for businesses that don't have a lot of cash is, is trying to sell to customers who can't say yes themselves. Like a, Oh,
1: I've been there. Right? Like you have a perfect solution for them and they have no yep. resources. Just to access it.
0: Exactly. Do they drain you or do they, do they give you energy? That's still in the profitability because it's not just about money. Then you have access to them. That's the biggest thing. Like, yeah, on paper, you've built a product for, I don't know, HR professionals, but if you don't know any HR professionals, if you have no access to communities with HR professional hanging out, if you don't know any personally, if you're not in the market yourself, you're going to have a big trouble. So it's about prioritization and. Then the last one is pain. Are they actually in pain? Do they have a bleeding neck problem? Is it life or death, uh, death almost? Or is it like a vitamin and nice to have? And so I make them prioritize the people they already have, or I make them look at people who've bought similar solutions just to get in the habit of talking to them. And once they have that, they ask the question that you. Teach people to ask. Uh, you know what happened the day you finally uh, you f- that finally managed you say I need to solve that pain or reach that goal. After that, how did you go about researching potential solutions? What what did you consider? What's the one thing that you are not able to do that you are now able to do now? What's the one thing that made you confident that you picked the right solution? All of those to basically get to the pain you're solving, the goals they are uh, seeking to to reach, the, your uniqueness, and then there is question that I'm hundred percent certain you don't you've never asked, right? Can I challenge mm-hmm. you on this? Can I think Yeah, of, yeah, go right? for it. The one that I love the most because it, it's an ingredient, all of those questions are basically there to create to create your those Lego bricks that you're gonna reuse throughout the program, throughout radical differentiation. And this question is what's the one thing you hate the most about our industry, our category? What are the cliches that you just can't send anymore? Right? Such
1: a good question. Yeah. Such I, I a good l- question.
0: I love to ask that because that gives you this brick of, that gives you the elements to play with inside your category. So let's say if you sell shampoos and everyone says they hate the fact that every shampoo are made of harmful chemicals for the planet. I'm just coming up with that. Mm -hmm. Then it's almost obvious uh, what you should remove and what you can play with inside, you know? And it's like for me, when I started the podcast, the marketing podcast being the category, what I hated the most was guests were just there to, to never share any solution, they were just talking about stuff in very broad, you know, terms and never really go to go to the nitty gritty of it. And I knew that I would that pissed me off, but also others. And so that's why I did it uh, this way, right? So this question unlocks so much stuff, and I love this question because it goes back to my childhood. You know, it goes back to this to the to finding flaws in other people's category and, and in other people's product, and. Once you have that, then it's, it's just about, I mean, it's just about, it's really about interviewing and talking to enough customers and then making sense of it to try to, to have a summary version of your minimum viable market. So the top pain you're solving, the goals they want to reach, the triggers that make them pick you, the uniqueness, what they love about you, the cliches and starting to have a sense of this, this kind of, this, this, the, the people you're actually talking to. And to go to the point of what I described before with the shampoo company, where you are certain that this is your market, you have its size, you know how much you can make out of it, and you feel clarity and you feel at peace now. You know that you can move on. And it's like you say that on on your tweets a lot, and I love it. It's almost like you're cheating. Because mm-hmm. once you have this... Oh, it totally. the market, It's... Pff,
1: the yeah. other thing that I want to call attention to here that I think that people... glaze over this way too fast is you dedicate three weeks to this work
0: yes most
1: people try to do that work in an afternoon like they they think okay i'm going to set up a survey or i'm going to have a couple calls and then i'm going to have the answer around who the audience is and then i can move on But if you're building on a foundation that isn't the right foundation and you rush through that process, which so many people do, because it feels so tedious, it doesn't like you feel like you're getting wins. But at the same time, it's, you know, you want to get to most people want to get to the building part. They want to get to the I have something to show part. Right. And I love that you get them to spend three weeks on this because that gives them enough time to be able to have some of those conversations, to be able to probably do a little bit of like online sleuthing, to be able to ask some of these questions. I love that that question. I think people probably don't think about that explicitly and they wouldn't volunteer that information if you didn't ask it. Like, but yeah, the fact that you give these three weeks, and that's a challenge that I've had with. Some of the work that we do for clients, we don't do a lot of consulting work, but when we do, there's really this expectation that the kind of discovery and research piece like, you know, that that should be able to fit into, you know, a couple of weeks at at most when that's the stuff where sometimes you don't get everything you need in those couple of weeks. Sometimes you learn what not to do. And yeah. then you need to go and do it again, right? With a different audience, because you're like, okay, this isn't the right one. Yeah. And this isn't the right positioning and framing for this. So like, we need to go back to the drawing board. So I love that you give them that much time. Sorry, I'm just no, no fangirling don't be sorry. about
0: that. And In the early access cohort, it was only two weeks long. And I realized that people didn't have enough time. So I've actually reduced and removed some of, the, some of the stuff to really give them time. So there's a week inside the program where there's no course. There's no content to read. It's only they have the full week to actually talk to people. And like it, the aha moments just in this phase is just amazing. Like you have people finally, uh, are you a fan of, are you a fan of the office? You know, the, the U.S. Uh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. All right. There's this scene where Michael Scott and Jen are arguing in, in their living room and, and and he's talking about the multiple vasectomies that he has to reverse and and had done. And <laughs> it's like snip, snap, snip, snap. Like he says that. Right. And it's like the same thing when people don't have clarity on that side, on that step, they, they just move back and forth between markets. They don't really know who they're targeting and everything else to your point about foundation, everything else makes no sense. Or is very, they, they just feel t- t- it's blurry for them. And so, you need to go to the point where if you're sending a microphone that I have, for example, the Shure uh, M711B, you want to know that your segment is actually podcasters who want a radio voice. It's mostly business owners relying on their podcasts for leads. They listen to other podcasts and they tend to be males. They tend to be based in the U.S. and they tend to be like in their 20s or 30s. Right. Or mm-hmm. let's say you're a jar, uh, which is a company I used to, to work for. You want to know that your minimum viable market is actually marketers working for brands selling online. They use Google Analytics a lot. They rely on guesswork to see what people do on their website. They have a lot of transactions on their sites, like 10,000 plus a week. And those people tend to be also in the US and all of that. So you can see, once you have this certainty, it, it just things get so much easier. Like for the shampoo It's just so much easier to know what to say to them. So much easier to build then or to engineer or to re-engineer the product so that it fits perfectly for their needs. You know, maybe if they have long, frizzy hair. You create a, a shampoo with like more volume, like more like liters in it. You know what I mean? Because exactly. they have long hair. Maybe you give them like this recipe to to fight the freeze, and you make it super relevant, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So, once you have that, then that's this is why I mean that radical differentiation is really marketing one hundred and one. And then there is this step where things get a bit more fun, which is the kind of finding out who's the monster. And what I mean by this is like finding out who is actually causing your minimum viable markets pain. And it's an interesting thing. It's not a problem statement. It's not saying your hair is frizzy and therefore you need to control it. It's trying to point the finger at something bigger, the system behind it. all, And that enables you to really mobilize people in your marketing, in the way you explain things and using the power of contrast by just stating that this monster and naming it is causing you that pain. You can almost infer what your product does without saying what it does.
1: So smart. And I love that. Like, I know that there's like, you know, the story brand framework, they call it the villain. And like, Dave Gerhardt talks about how you have to find kind of the thing that everyone can rally against. But I like, you talked about with like, everyone hates marketers, how. By, you know, you weren't calling out marketers, you were calling out the system. Yep. And I think that that's so smart because we all want to rally against and be angry at the thing. We yep. don't want it to be another person, an individual, but there is this broader kind of like philosophical problem. That if we can all rally around that, like that's how you can build that tribe, which is like we are coming together to overcome this philosophical right. problem that is shitty. <laughs> and, and
0: do you know why? Because like this is the thing that I was asked myself. I fucking hate when when people talk about, you know, storytelling and they don't really tell you why it's so appealing for people or people telling you about enemy and they don't really you don't really know. Yeah, that always piss me off. But why is that working? And that's working. I, I looked at research, psychological research recently. The reason why, for example, there's conspiracy theories and conspiracy theorists is because they feel a heightened level of anxiety about the world and the future. Yeah. And in, what caused them anxiety is thinking that all of those, all of those reasons why they feel in pain, all of those stuff is just random, you know, due to chance or whatever what alleviates their their anxiety what makes them feel better is to actually have one thing one thing to point at because that makes them feel better that makes them feel in control again right mm-hmm. and so th- smart and that's why when you apply that to psychology in general this is why religion exists you know you need this kind of to feel to make you feel better you want to point the finger at one thing that is responsible for everything and so it's our
1: brains being lazy, right? But our yes. brains are designed that way. Like we exactly. want to find the one thing to focus on.
0: And this is why there is less stereotypes. And this is why, you know, your brain doesn't want to think, doesn't want to use energy. And therefore it, it wants to categorize things. It wants to put things into a box or else it's too messy for it. And so your job as a marketer, as a creator, as an entrepreneur, is to do the emotional uh, labor necessary to th- to point the finger at something so that your market doesn't have to. And it's, it's a, it's an easy quote unquote easy thing to do and to explain and even to, to start doing with people. And you pointed out exactly this is what I, this is what I'm doing when I explain the problem of everyone his marketers. I don't blame the marketer. I blame like the system that puts them under pressure, very much like for stand the fuck out. I don't blame the person who doesn't want to take risk. I actually blame positioning experts who never really explain how to do it. They mm-hmm. tell you it's important. They never tell you how. But let's say you're selling. Uh, healthy croissants right in in a french bakery in france you can simply say that buttery croissants are tasteless and very bad for your health and you can point the finger at them and and people will understand what you sell for Hodjar, the way we've done it was by just saying that traditional web analytics tool leave you in the dark because they can't show you what users really do on your website and mm-hmm. I don't even need to tell you what Hotjar does. You can guess that we're actually going to show you what users really do on your website. And we point the finger at those traditional analytics tools. So it's it's what infomercials people have understood for for decades. So, you know, when you have this tangled hose at the start, oh, tangled. Right. that's what they are doing.
1: Okay. So I love that we're getting into the weeds, but I also want to be cognizant of our time. So we (laughs) said we could talk forever. So, you know, you're walking me through the step of the program. So it starts off with they have to work through the mindset. Then it's okay. Now let's really get into the nitty gritty of who your right customers are and why. And so you can get some clarity around that. And then is step three finding the villain or is that part of the? Yeah. Step three. Yeah.
0: It's an entire module, yeah, on that, because it's quite fun. And then... The, the the most important thing because because yeah we're running out of time and, and I want to get into that is to engineer radical differentiation. And mm-hmm. and this is why I was making a point earlier about the fact that when you switch the step from picking your market and then engineering something, things are easier. I'm not saying you shouldn't start with a product, it's perfectly fine, you already have a product, but you must look at it from a new lens now, which is the length of the minimum market, the status quo that you're fighting, the monster you're fighting. And by engineering a radical differentiation, I mean listing down everything. That is expected of your category right if you're a marketing podcast if you're like a shampoo or whatever what is expected of it throughout the the experience with the customer and i'm not talking about features talking about everything that is expected from the message that we send them the communication the product the way it works the packaging the before and after the after sales whatever listing down all the things like that enables you to put that on kind of on paper in front of you and you start to see what you can play with and the key word here the most important verb that people are afraid to use and actually to, to action is removing. Removing things that are cliches that people hate. Removing things that are not really doing the job. Removing things that are not really helping them solve the biggest pain you've, you've uncovered. Removing, removing, removing. Because this is so important. Because customers will rave about the positives and they will rationalize the negatives meaning they will understand that you don't do all things for all people they will put you on a pedestal because you're doing those few things so well and they will rationalize the fact that you don't do x y and z and this is what you want to get to you want to get to a product a product or service that is done for them by removing as much as you can and challenging the the category conventions
1: and again i bet you that is terrifying for people
0: Yes. But, but because of the knowledge they have the market and because now they understand the key, it's actually not, it's actually not that difficult anymore. I I think the hurdle is really about the market. But once you understand that and you see examples everywhere, because it's not something that is like, again, I'm not teaching something new here, but I've never seen it in one framework. Uh, Once you, once you understand it, you see it everywhere. Like you just see it everywhere. the, there's this French political party called La République en Marche, which is the party of the French president now. And I'm not political. I just want to explain how they've done it. They've challenged the category of political party in France by removing politicians who were like career politicians who are just there to do politics. And instead, they replaced them with folks who were like working people like you and me. Mm-hmm. They did other stuff and they challenged the category. They didn't try to invent a new category. They stay within the box of French political party. But they understood that their market were people who were completely disenfranchised with French politics, who were just sick of the traditional French politics. And so they went above it, created that. And, and, and like the way, the way they managed to do it is pure radical differentiation, even on a big scale. They understood that and they challenged everything in it, but still called it a political party.
1: I love that. But like when I say it's like scary for people, I think that. Oftentimes when you look at a business, and I think like most entrepreneurs are guilty of this, that is doing too much, serving too many people, offering too many features, trying to be the one size fits all solution, that they don't get there because that's what the customers asked for. They usually get there because of fear. It's like, okay, things aren't working because we don't have in it must be because we don't have this, or maybe we'll go after this audience. And so when you look at people and you tell them, okay, what can you remove? Like, I think that while they intellectually get it, there's probably still that insecurity of, well, you know, like if I only do that, or we take away all these other features that sometimes people want, or all these other services that sometimes people want that are extra, like income, like what then? Right. And I think that that is, it's, I I love, I think that the thing that sticks out to me as you talk through this is like, I had sat down with a couple like previous founders that I know, both of whom had kind of like exited their companies and were on to the next thing. And like, we're talking through this problem of, companies don't understand their customers and it leads to them building the wrong products and selling those products in the wrong ways and like spent a lot of time kind of talking about like are we going to do something together what would it look like how would we get there and at the time i heard this podcast i think it was freakonomics and it's always stuck with me because i think it's so powerful because like what you're really doing with people which you've said explicitly is like you're helping them to make a behavioral change right you're giving them the confidence to do it through the through your framework but you're helping them make this behavioral change Change. And making people, helping people to make a behavioral change, is one of the absolute hardest things to do. But there's in the in Freakonomics, they talked about there's kind of like these four steps that can that can help. Yeah. And I've always thought about this in terms of like building out that a solution to help people with these behavioral changes, and like the four steps are. You look at Weight Watchers, that system, right? That has been incredibly effective when you compare it to other solutions for weight loss. And what the four things that they say that you need to make a behavioral change, you need to have a leader, somebody who has gone before you that can show you what's possible. Like that has like, you know, had some of that, like some of the success that you want, or can show you that they have some degree of answers. But you also need to have peers and you need to have peers that are supporting you throughout the journey, who are at a similar stage to you, who can both hold you accountable and inspire you and make you feel more competitive. And you need to have a larger, broader goal. So you think about Weight Watchers that might be, I want to lose 20 pounds. But then you also need to have kind of like these, this consistent micro goal throughout that journey. And for Weight Watchers, it's like you've got this one number every day, you can eat whatever you want, as long as the calorie, like the, the points add up to that one number. And those are the kind of four things that help for people to make a behavioral change. And it sounds like I don't know if this was Like, if you've read this research or not, but it sounds like there's a lot of those elements that are built into your program. And while it's positioned as radical differentiation training or programming, really, it's behavioral change programming. Mm -hmm. Because these people all have the skills. Yeah. They just... Yeah.
0: They know this, like, and again, if you read if you read Blue Ocean Strategy and Differentiator Die or, or obviously Awesome by April Dunford recently, y- you will understand there's a lot of stuff that is that is there that's been repeated. And this is why I'm saying I'm not teaching something new. Yeah, that's a good way to put it. I'm teaching trying to teach new behavior with the data they already have. Um, but it's so tough. And so yeah, showing examples, making them realize around them that the the product they buy, the service they buy, are actually almost all using this principle until they reach a certain goal, a certain size, and then it's a different mechanism. It's 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 distinctiveness. It's about being seen by everyone in your category, and that's a different beast. But for most people in, in their stage, it's it, that's that's where it's at. So the fact that you're surrounded by people like 19 other people, the fact that I'm there to challenge you, giving examples, the fact that I can show you actual examples of not big brands like Apple, like oh, like, or Drift, you know, like people telling me, oh, but Drift, they didn't do anything different. They just created their own category. Or oh, I'm like, no, come on. <laughs> it's, like David Cancel is a four times startup founder who knows everyone in California. He, they raised 200 million dollars they could throw that much money into quote-unquote creating a new category but like 99.9 percent of the time category creation is not for you you don't have the patience the time the resources the experience to make it happen don't try to come up with a new name just play inside the, that category that you're in and there is more than enough room for you to have fun with just one last example again you can see it everywhere there's this very good burger restaurant in dublin and the status quo, that they are fighting against the monster. They are fighting against is tra- like it's typically those traditional fast food restaurant. They only sell one burger, a beef burger. It's either single or double. You don't have a choice for sauce. It's the same for everyone. They only sell one type of beer, one type of uh, soft drink. They don't sell chicken burgers, nothing like that. And exactly what is what I'm telling you happened. They can focus on that product. They have uh, direct access to a butcher down the road to sell them organic meat. So the burger are juicy. They're beautiful. They are the best burger in Dublin by a long mile. And they are achieving that by removing as much as possible and dabbling down on, on their uniqueness. And everyone loves those burgers and rationalize the negatives. They know that they're not going there to, to, to have a, a chicken burger. And so once you develop that lens, you see the world differently and you see it's everywhere.
1: This is so good. Okay. So let's leave people on a high note. Let's inspire them. Thinking about, you know, it's easy, like you said, to point at the apples or the or even this burger company, which is a small business, but you can see the success bias, right? So let's think about, is there a student that's gone through your program who has been said, it's okay for you to share my story? And can you talk about kind of like the transformation they went through, like where they might've thought they were going to start and maybe where they ended up and share kind of a success story that can inspire folks?
0: Yeah, I mean, uh, the, the thing about this is that it's not something that you can do within days or weeks, right? It takes time. It, it you change your mindset, changing behavior, it, it, uh, communicating that, promoting your product, it, you know, everything takes time. So having said that, I can think about one example because she reached out to me recently. She is a, uh, she was a copywriter, like a content marketer, and she's been hovering over like this, this market of like cybersecurity companies but never really had the guts to go for it and never felt like she 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 was ready for it and going through the program she went for it she went even deeper she really specialized like renamed everything that she was doing all her services to be only for cybersecurity companies she let go of clients that were not in cybersecurity space she's only doing strategic content marketing now and before that she was writing as well and she tripled the number of leads she got just by doing this and by making it obvious to everyone. So by saying no to more people, more people saw her as the expert for that in in that space. And again, people rave about the positives, the thing that she was doing and rationalize the fact that she wasn't doing the rest. So that's one example for a freelancer, but we've also seen other examples of like bigger companies who... We just nailed it from the start by by just going for it. They had a hunch that this was the right thing to do, but they didn't do it until until they went through the program.
1: So good. Okay, Louis, this has been amazing. I know that everybody who, if for anybody who's listening that hasn't already listened to your podcast, like go and download. Like there are so many good episodes. So maybe that's th- something we can leave folks with. If you had to go and listen to, you know, one episode of of the Everybody Hates Marketers podcast right now along the vein of radical differentiation, which episode would you recommend to people?
0: Well, b- beside yours that I absolutely urge people to listen to because you, you were splendid. And I remember I even reposted it as a replay. So you got double the juice. But oh, thank you. Another one that I urge people to listen to is one called Tech Fucking Risks uh, with Paul Meller, who's the MD of a uh, ad agency in Dublin. In, in London, shit, he's going to hate me for this. In London. And he and we're going through that, the mindset piece in particular, and, and why it's so important to take risk in today's world and why you can't just do average thing for average people and why the VP of marketing in any company is scared of taking risk because they have two mortgages and two kids and their kids are in private school and they think they have everything to lose by going against the grain. And so we talk about that for an hour and it's, it's glorious. So Paul Meller is his name
1: so good and anything else that people should check out another resource you want to to share
0: well uh, i mean you, you've been very generous uh, with your questions in your time thank you so much for 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 allowing me to t- to speak about what i love i would just ask people to to check out the podcast and check out the site everyone there's a newsletter there that just teach people how to differentiate yourself this is something i'm going to do way more often take even more time writing those emails so Again, I, I, just, I just can't thank you enough for for letting me vent. And we're
1: gonna link to all of those resources. And I'll tell you, I have I don't read a lot of newsletters. I actually like read very 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 few newsletters, and I don't have one that I always open religiously. But you especially lately i don't know if you are just pouring more energy into this like you are nailing it with the newsletter and it shows and so people should get on that newsletter first just to steal some of your secrets and of course also to learn so we're going to link to all of this in the show notes louis thank you for being a splendid guest today
0: you're so welcome and thank you for doing what you're doing
1: hey there i wanted to take a moment to thank you for listening to the show I absolutely love getting nerdy with you and our guests each week. It is just so much fun. And speaking of nerdy marketing stuff, have you heard about the power of reciprocity in marketing? Reciprocity is one of the best methods you can use to persuade people to take action. It's simple. Give something small for free before you ask for a sale. You see this all the time in marketing. Sometimes it's a free sample, a free trial, or even a free podcast like this one. With that in mind, I've got a small favor to ask. If you've gotten at least one aha moment while listening to the show, could you go to Apple Podcasts and give Customer Show a five-star rating? It'll only take a few seconds, and ratings are really the best way to help new people discover the show. I see every rating and am beyond grateful for each one. And who knows? Maybe one day you'll need something from me, and then I can return the favor for you. So thanks again.